you're about to listen to another great show on the Four Eyed Radio Network. To listen to other shows just like this, go to foureyedradio.com. Like our show, Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast. Where we talk everything and anything about Pokemon. Learn something new. Like, did you know that every Pokemon card is misprinted on the back? The ball centerpiece opens on the wrong side. <laughs> what? I'm going to have to check that out. But yeah, you can learn stuff like that, which I just learned right now. Wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> Spider-Man. It's catchy. <laughs> to listen to the show, find us on 4iradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. As a reminder, we're still talking about the spectacular Spider-Man, so if you would like to watch along as we discuss, the show is available on DVD and Blu-ray, but they can be difficult to find, so if you can't find those, uh, you should be able to find this show for purchase on most digital platforms. And we are talking about the second episode in this arc. So we're smack dab in the middle of an arc. Yes, the criminology arc. Yes, which I feel like is maybe a stronger title than what I expected for it to be. <laughs> and maybe that was like a little bit of buildup based on Captain Stacy appearing before yeah. the arc began, but not necessarily as like criminology <laughs> or law enforcement focused as I would have expected. <laughs> no, I think it literally is just like criminology has the word criminal in it and it's mostly about the bad guys in this arc. Yeah. <laughs> that's it really. Which I mean that's that's the thing that's weird about this arc like I do like it and you know well it it ends next next week is like the last episode of this arc. So, you know, we can talk about like final thoughts on it as an arc then, but like I do think it's interesting because we kind of grappled with, like, the arc before this with, like, the theme of it, because it seemed like there's a theme there, but it's a little bit unclear. And this one I don't think is meant to have a theme at all at this point. I think it literally is just, like, here's just a story about this gang war thing that's happening and all the criminals involved, and that's really it. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I think it's less of a, an abstract theme and more of just a plot-driven theme, and I think it is meant yeah. to to reflect certain real life things and sometimes explicitly referenced those types of things. But yeah, I don't think it's necessarily meant to be like deep or thematic in the way that you would like critique something. I think the theme is just very straightforward. <laughs> like yeah, it's a gang war. Fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's just it, 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 like, I don't mind it. Cause I, I do think I generally like this arc. It's just, um, oh, I've, I like it a lot. I think it's super fun. Yeah, I think it's really fun. Yeah, I totally agree. It's just different than I think what we've come to expect from this show because it's done so much thematic stuff. But I think it's just an example of how the show was trying to sort of experiment and expand its itself a bit 
because with the intention of it going for a long time. So like, yeah, definitely. So like not every arc has to be a, a heavily thematic one. It can be a thing where it's like, sometimes it's just focused on supporting characters. Sometimes it's mostly focused on the villains, you know, which I think is, is really cool. Well, and I have to wonder, depending on how long the show might have gone, how strictly they would have stuck to these, or at least how they'd done these arcs to this point you know what i mean like yeah i don't know i I don't know greg weissman enough to know like how how much of a stickler he would have been about that but you know if they had gone five seasons six seasons or whatever however many episodes i don't know i wouldn't have been surprised if that did end up breaking down or being replaced with like other structures somehow it would be interesting if it's just like, okay, season four, it all takes place over the span of three days. It's just one, it, the whole season is the arc or something. You know why what not? I mean? Like, you know? Why not? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do love how, how experimental they, they, they've they been getting this season. This episode not doesn't is a pretty normal one, but just in general, like, definitely been trying new things in yeah. ways that I'm really into. And I think maybe part of the weirdness or instability is a strong word, but- the the less focused arc of it all might be as a result of some of the experimentation they're doing along the way. Because I do think these arcs are a little bit looser than the first season. The first season, they seemed very like tight as far as like a thematic arc goes. These feel like they're less constrained. Yeah, and I guess the first season, even though they ditch the like movie, the movie cut stuff pretty early, I think they wrote the whole season with the like direct to DVD movie versions in mind. So that actually makes a lot of sense. By this season, it's just like, okay, we're just a show. We don't have to even <laughs> think about that. So like the arc stuff is more for fun than anything else and to keep things a little bit more organized. Yeah, and maybe just like a creative driving principle and less of like a, a product meant to be easily identified on screen or or all the time or whatever but in any case like i do think the theme of this is strong in the sense that it has a it's weird because i I feel like theme in the way that we, we use it typically means one thing but i don't know what other word to use like i do think this yeah these three episodes have a thread that is very obvious throughout the three of them that it's yeah. not hard to point to and be like, this is the arc about this. So Right. Well, it's a very clear beginning, middle, and end. Exactly. An end to a particular story, which in this this episode is interesting because it's like the midpoint of that story. So it ends up being it's, – it's funny because it almost feels like this arc is like you're sandwiched between like the episode before this and the episode after it. And then this one is sort of the standout for not being as focused on the villains but still like setting up a lot of stuff that's going to come next week. Yeah, I, I think the, the the episode before this and the episode after this wouldn't make as much sense with this epi- or without this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Even though this isn't – I wouldn't say the strongest of the three. It's like a necessary one. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, we're talking about The Spectacular Spider-Man Season 2, Episode 9. It is titled Probable Cause, and this is the synopsis per IMDb. The kids grumbled when paired by lot drawing at a project riding along in cop patrol cars. Peter has to rush between his identities to fight the crime world's new enforcers, supplied by Norman Osborn's secret new scientist. Meanwhile... Flash turns in the Mustangs for winning the cup while Harry was doped. (laughs) I love that that's how that ends. (laughs) That's amazing. Given how they're normally written, I love that it ends with while Harry was doped. (laughs) Yep. I love it too. (laughs) That's incredible. 
I'm going to miss these because they're not always this good for other shows. No, no, <laughs> definitely not as good. <laughs> yeah. The international air date for this episode was March 15th, 2009. The U.S. air date was October 14th, 2009. It was written and directed by familiar people. Kevin Hopst wrote it and Michael Gogwin directed it. We have uh, met them before. We've talked about them on uh, multiple episodes. So, like, you know who they are. And I think it's probably going to be like this for the whole rest of the season. So I don't have much research to do when it comes to the writers and directors. That's fine. All of our production stuff is getting lighter and lighter as this goes on because they introduced so much at the beginning and there was so much to talk about at the beginning, but they're they're They have a stride now. So, yeah. And that's evidenced by the fact that like, let's talk about Mark Allen now, you know, like (laughs) we've seen him a few times and I think it's time we acknowledge he's here, I guess. I don't know. Mark Allen, we were going to have to talk about him eventually because he does keep showing up. And this is probably the episode to this point where he's spoken the most. He'll probably speak more, I guess, technically in the next one. He's he's firmly established as a character we should be paying attention to. So it's it's time to talk about him. Mark Allen is voiced by Eric Lopez, who voices Blue Beetle in Young Justice and a couple of DC video games. I do think that he is in both it's weird to say both iterations. I guess the right way to say it is he was in the original Young Justice and was also able to reprise his role when it was renewed many years later. Cool. So, um, yeah, it's still still Eric Lopez. He is Fido? Fido? In Spirit Riding Free? Never seen it. Gordon in Costume Quest, the animated series. And he is Bumblebee Man in a 2020 episode of The Simpsons. Which... Oh, he must be the new because they because they just very recently, I think, with this season, like said that any people of color are going to be voiced by people of color. Like they're getting getting rid of I any wonder white actors. Yeah, because like Carl, I think the only characters that have spoken as of this recording that I know of, like uh, that that have had new actors, is like Carl is voiced by by a new cast member. I didn't know about the Bumblebee Man one, but I imagine that like. They probably just have Eric Lopez on to voice any, like, Latinx character, probably. I don't Um, know. I think this is his first role on the show. Because I I put it because it, like, stood out to me because it was The Simpsons, obviously. But I saw, like, on – I don't know if this is Twitter or Instagram or something like that. I had to do, like, a little bit of digging because I guess this probably isn't a surprise. There are, like, a number of people in the industry named Eric Lopez. It's, like, a pretty common Mm -hmm. name. But uh, he had something about this. One of the creators was, like, welcoming him to the cast. Nice. And it was as Bumblebee Man. So I don't know. Maybe he'll stay on for, for uh, like, appropriate casting purposes. Um, yeah. But I think this is his first role in the show. And I, yeah. I'm glad you said that because I was like, I feel like I recognize this character. I don't think this is a new character. <laughs> so I'm glad you said that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, he was originally, Hank Azar- like, one of Hank Azaria's many ethnic voices. Gotcha. Yeah, pretty much anybody that's been voiced by Hank Azaria and um, Harry Shearer that are like not white, which is a lot of characters. <laughs> they're they're actually bringing actors for. So it's it's cool that I was I was worried, and I, other people were worried too because like they didn't really specify they didn't really specify it when they first announced it, and it happened like right when like a, like the big wave of Black Lives Matter was happening. So a lot of people were like are you only going to do this for the black characters or are you going to do it for literally all people of color? Yeah. And the, clearly they're doing it for at least for Latinx people too, which is really sure. cool. So I like that. Cool. Well, I, I, I hope it's a, a good opportunity because 
He seems like a cool dude, but his credits list isn't like super duper long, or at least uh, super deep, maybe. But he has provided a number of voices for video games, but frequently as like various or additional voices, but on like Mm -hmm. big properties. So I know he provided additional voices for Final Fantasy VII Remake, Gears 5 and 4, Fallout 76, the Spider-Man game, and and many others. So, yeah. Neat. I dig it. Yeah. I, uh, he seems, he seems cool. Yeah. The other thing about casting that is definitely worth mentioning is that Ox in this episode specifically, and I, I assume uh, hypothetical future episodes, is voiced by Danny Trejo, oh, which is a casting okay. change because that is not who voiced Ox previously. Ox didn't really say anything other than grunting previously, so they probably right. just had whoever was around to do it. It's funny, though, because in this episode, Ox still doesn't say that much. <laughs> Like Ox in general words. doesn't say much. Yeah, he does say actual words this time around. So it was just interesting because I saw that in the – before I even, like, looked into it, I saw Danny Trejo's name flash in the credits, and I was like, Wait, ho- what? <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. And we've addressed this already, right? But, like, Ox's appearance has also changed, right? Not specifically in this episode. I think it had pr- previously. But when he af- first appeared, didn't he have red hair or am I making that up? No, he never had red hair. It was always, I, it was always. But you I did feel like mention he looked different though. Something about him looked different. Maybe it's just because he's not doing that horrific smile. Yeah, I think that's probably what it is. And I don't remember. I meant to go back and watch the original, the first episode again because I know that you were wondering about if Fancy Dan had changed, like when he last appeared. I don't think and he this... did. I think I, I think I'm just making stuff up left and right. Maybe, but did did he have the beard originally that he has here? I don't know if I don't know. I don't know. The, I mean, it honestly, matter. It just speaks <laughs> to like how memorable these two characters are. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops! They at least do something interesting? Question mark with them in this episode. So they do something different. We can say that definitively. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They're never going to be, like, interesting, but they're at least, like, kind of fun, if but not memorable. I think they could be more interesting than they are. <laughs> yeah, they could be. Because they're all, I mean, like, the fact that, like, Fancy Dan, now that we get to hear him talk more, and then he actually, like, has, like, basically superpowers now, and yet still is just, like, kind of knockoff Montana. Like, yeah. he's just Montana's same shtick, but, like, another guy. Like, it, that that seemed, that's that's a strange choice to me. I get, the, I get the impression that it's kind of intentional, though. Like, I feel like if they wanted these characters to be a big deal, they would have just made them a big deal. So I feel like they're specifically utilized, at least thus far, to not be a huge deal. Like, they seem very functional. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess so. Which, I mean, doesn't, I don't think it necessarily excuses them being kind of boring, but I I get that sense. Yeah. Because they could make anybody interesting. I feel like the show could make anybody interesting if they wanted to. But And I do think Montana on his own, when he's playing against other characters, is fun. I like and, Montana. Like, as Shocker. Yeah, like, I like him, but I think he works best even when he's playing off of other people and then, like, he's not really given anybody to play off of because the people he's playing off of either don't talk or, or like, exactly like him. It's strange. I just don't – it's a weird choice. Yeah, he really does shine when he's in that position of being surrounded by people he doesn't like. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that's ideal. And I think he likes these two, so it doesn't work quite as well. Yeah. 
Anywho, let's uh, let's dive in, eh? Yeah, eh? Eh? <laughs> eh? All right, well, this episode opens with a wide shot of the city. It's not really that wide, but uh, <laughs> it is featuring uh, a building that has a number of explosions shooting out of it. We then cut to inside that building. I think it's an abandoned factory. It's not quite an abandoned warehouse, but uh, it's abandoned nonetheless. And Shocker is there. What's up, Shocker? And he's blasting at somebody he's calling Ricochet. And then a big suited fella drops from the ceiling and attacks Shocker back. And it's pretty easy to figure out quite quickly what the deal is here. Tinker steps in and it is revealed that the new enforcers have shown up on the scene. Same dudes, but with new suits. So Shocker is still just Shocker. But Fancy Dan is now Ricochet, which is sort of a a Shocker-esque decision for the show to make. Yeah, uh, kind of mashing two characters together again. Uh, fine with it because Fancy Dan wasn't that exciting to begin with. Ricochet, I don't know. I guess it's interesting to introduce Ricochet into a Spider-Man cartoon because yeah. that's a Spider-Man alias, but I don't think that's like a huge deal. <laughs> I don't think anybody's getting confused by this choice. <laughs> didn't somebody become, didn't another person become Ricochet after Spider-Man yeah. too? I mean, it was always been a hero though. So it's still like an interesting choice to be like, take this identity that like no one really cares about, but it's a kind of cool superpower and make him a villain. There you go. Yeah. And then Ox, who insists on continuing to just be called Ox. No I do fancy like new name. Yeah. I, I, it makes sense because like, I don't know. It doesn't really need anything else. And it's funny because he's kind of like the big brick of a character. He has like these sort of like respiration tubes on the outside of his suit that mimic his mustache, which is really Mm -hmm. funny to me. But, you know, he's Ox. He's going to be Ox. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. Anyway, (laughs) they're, they're testing out these new suits with Shocker. Tinker approves. And then Tombstone steps onto the scene. And he also seems to approve so they set up right off the bat uh return of some characters some some crossing over of some characters that we wouldn't necessarily expect but we will get a bit of an explanation to that shortly yeah yeah i guess tinker got hired from doc ock by tombstone that's an interesting thing isn't it yeah because he was pretty exclusively doc ock mm-hmm. so that's but 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 there was the whole thing a few episodes ago where, like, Sandman was specifically hired by Hammerhead from Doc Ock, too. So, like, I yeah. guess they're all – all these parties, even though there's, like, this sort of bubbling mob war happening, like, they're all still willing to work with each other, well, you know, I kind guess. of. I think, I think the world that they've established is one – that's different than what we would expect, which is like this sort of sandbox world of superpowered people. This like spectacular has sort of like relegated most of the conventional superpowered people, at least the the ones you would think of in like a classic accident makes, you know, wacky supervillain to like Doc Ock's faction with exceptions, mm-hmm. obviously. And so I feel like they've sort of created this situation where, the other people are forced to, and we've talked about this a little bit before, forced to acknowledge the importance of Doc Ock's presence. And so I feel like they're forced to kind of work with him or forced to give him a certain amount of respect or hire him or utilize his services. Like, I feel like it's probably reluctant, but necessary. And it's kind of the vibe I get. Like, he's, 
a bit of a thorn in their side, but also necessary <laughs> for some of the things they want to do, which they do get into a little bit later, even with uh, with uh, more with Hammerhead and Tombstone and Osborne. So, yeah, I think that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I like it. I think it's cool. I like the mm-hmm. way that they've split up these factions. It's a yep. little bit. Uh, it's not really all that similar to Spider-Man Unlimited, but I like it in a similar way in that they've created these clear factions with similar but different interests. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, uh, after that, we get the credits. This time, the credits feature Flash. I think this is the first time that he's been first listed, right? I think normally, so. And they do the same thing mentioned before, because normally it's either Gwen or Liz that are first, and they always have a little like eye catch kind of right before their actual title screen because there's like a beat. So they do it in the flash too. And he's like, got a football and it's cute. Imagine my disappointment when this episode didn't end with Peter and flash declaring their boyfriendness, because that spot is quite reserved. I would say, I would say Peter's so love interests. <laughs> yep. Yep. Real bummer. Huh? That one. <laughs> I'm so upset. <laughs> even more so spoiler he gets the first slot next week too and that's a valentine's mm-hmm. day episode still doesn't happen still doesn't happen <laughs> that one makes a little more sense to me than this one but i guess someone's got to be in the first spot yeah 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 so first spot here uh then it's harry and then captain stacy which i think checks out given the events of this episode yeah so the next morning we find ourselves in tombstone's office where Hammerhead is confronting Tombstone about circumventing Hammerhead and approaching the Enforcers. Basically, Hammerhead's like, wait a second, how come you didn't get me to do this since when do you go directly to the Enforcers or to the, the I guess, feet on the ground? And Tombstone cites a couple things. He cites the return of Silvermane and Doc Ock's presence as sort of like a pressure to act quickly and grow his army fast but also takes a couple digs at Hammerhead for failing the oil tanker mission and failing to retrieve the dino specs. So it's a couple things. Part of it is like, gotta act fast, but probably more of it is, I don't know if I trust you to get things done anymore, Hammerhead. And it is very tense and awkward. Um, I'm pretty sure you just called them dino specs instead of rhino specs, which I think you should hey, definitely keep in because I love it. That's weird. Don't even know why I would have done that, but it sounds cool to me. Yeah, I mean, that would. There hasn't really been a dinosaur villain on the show yet, so. <laughs> that should happen. Dino specs. <laughs> he wants to create his own Jurassic Park. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I like the scene, it's fun, and I like that, like, throughout the way the blocking is set up, like, Tombstone is, like, gradually rolling up his sleeves to just start practicing his punches on a punching bag mm-hmm. like which is just a fun creative like detail to have i love the show does that so much so well where it's like just exposition or conversation scenes it always finds some some kind of business for the characters to do and like this one's so fun because it just like makes tombstone look cool to see him just like slowly rolling up his sleeves as he look his, looks at his reflection in the window and then punching the shit out of a punching bag while he's like talking intimidatingly and it's all tense. Yeah. It's great. It it also makes perfect sense in universe. Like he's, he's trying to, to exhibit his control. He, he literally says, you know, it's all about control and you used to know that hammerhead. Mm -hmm. And so what better way to sort of like 
exhibit his power than to beat the shit out of a punching bag that eventually like bursts open. Yeah. What a mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, he didn't clean it up himself. <laughs> no, 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 well, true. Yeah, absolutely not. Peter arrives at Midtown High suited up and he's celebrating how like his spider abilities are so great. It gets him to school on time now because they don't have to wait in traffic. And he says life is sweet, which anytime he's ever like happy about his life, that always signals that something bad yep. is going to happen. So as he's like kind of changing, he happens to be changing like in and Little, little alleyway that's like right next to where the uh right next to like where a bunch of other like students are hanging out so of course flash is like tossing a pass to hobie he's actually doing it specifically to impress shashan there's a fun little bit where he's like hey shashan you want to see the the winning pass that i made in the championship game or whatever and she just says not really and walks <laughs> off because she's a fucking icon mm-hmm. <laughs> But the reason this is happening is because uh, he over Flash overthrows the pass to Hobie, so Hobie misses it. It lands right next to the dumpster that is right next to where Peter is changing. So he's freaking out. He doesn't want to get seen changing out of his Spider-Man costume, and uh, like quickly hides. Or well, it looks like he falls, but then he actually ends up fully under the dumpster. So like I guess it had to be somewhat intentional, but he did also trip. Either way, it's a big mess. He ends up like in a pile of trash, smelling like a pile of trash. It makes sense to me. I feel like if you fall and smash yourself into the dumpster, then you hide as a result of that. Okay, that's fair. It's well, probably that's why fair. I ended up underneath. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> so we get a. Captain Stacy class. This is probably like the most substantial of the ones we've gotten so far because it informs basically the rest of the episode. Yeah. Or at least a big part of it. And in this one, there's not really a lesson. It's more just like setup. So he's he's telling them that they're going to choose their partners for their ride along field trip later that night. And the class, I mean, because Peter just fell into a bunch of trash, this isn't really that important. It's all just, like, for laughs. The class is, like, avoiding him. So you see Peter, like, literally sitting on one side of the classroom and nine other students sitting on the other side of the classroom, like, holding their noses and staring at him. Ha-ha, he stinks. Anyway. (laughs) Actually, uh, he reeks. He reeks. Oh, no one said that, did they? No, they didn't. Wow. He said reeks so much in the first season. I don't know if anyone said it at all this season. Mm-mm, nope. Wow. Nice throwback. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, ultimately, they're they're choosing partners for their ride along. As you would probably expect, all these people end up in pairs that result in some sort of tension or conflict, except pretty much MJ. There's not a whole lot of tension or conflict if really any that results from that, or at least not negative tension. So Yeah, there's tension. There's tension, all right. <laughs> there's tension, all right, yeah. <laughs> so Flash ends up with Harry, and Flash reacts negatively to this, seemingly because he really wanted to be with Shashan, but dot, dot, dot on that, because we'll learn more, Shashan ends up with Hobie, uh, which is funny because Flash pushed Hobie out of the way in order to take his pick. Uh, Liz <laughs> ends up with Gwen, which is great. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mary Jane ends up with Mark. So there's your tension. And uh, Sally ends up with Peter after pretending to pull Rand's name, which is funny because Rand's not in that class. <laughs> I like that joke. And I like that Flash is the one to call it out too. Yeah. Like he's not even trying. It's just like, dude, that's no. Rand's not even Stop. in this class. Although with how many pieces of paper were in that hat, I wouldn't have been surprised if Rand's name were in there for some reason. <laughs> yeah, like 80 were... pieces of paper in this hat for like five, five picks. 
<laughs> right, right. It's funny. Yeah, you know, I another thing that I did like about this scene, like I always want to point it out because I really just like Liz a lot. And I like that, like, even with all like the the stinky Pete stuff. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, is also disgusted and repulsed by his smell, but it's still like really nice to him about yeah. it. Like, like he's like, "Is it that bad?" And she's like, "It is, but it's fine. You'll sh- you'll shower, and we'll be able to do this together. It's fine." Yeah. Like she's she loves him. It's so she's sweet. Great. She she's really likes great. him so much. She's mm-hmm. too good for him. Yep. But <laughs> it's sweet. As he said, "What is it? I don't deserve you, or something?" And she said, "You're yep. right." <laughs> yep. Very true. Yep. 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 <laughs> Speaking of cleaning up, <laughs> Peter <laughs> yeah. does go home to shower, uh, which makes sense because their field trip is at night. So he has plenty of time to do that. But after he does that, he ends up heading back to Midtown as Spidey because that's how he gets around and notices a conspicuously broken skylight at a nearby Metro bank. So he does stop to investigate that. Oh, I forgot. I do like the, the, the Hobie joke this time. That was in that classroom scene where it's just he almost says something to Flash, I guess. Yeah. And about before he says anything. Shishan. <laughs> yeah, about Shashan. And then they cut him off by saying, don't say it, like specifically yep. to Hobie, which is a nice like I like that they're act- it's actually like calling out the joke. I did like that one. And I like it whenever it's like different from just the bell ringing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I don't think based on what we've seen to this point. And what we will continue to see so far. I don't think we have anything to worry about with the Hobie jokes. I think they're they're good. <laughs> yeah, I agree. We got I that agree. one weird repeat. But I think from here on out, I can expect good ones. <laughs> yeah, I fully agree. Anyway, anyway, back to the city. Uh, Spidey, like, stops to investigate. But we, meanwhile, we cut back to, like, the student pairs that we established earlier. They're about to hop into these police cruisers for those ride-alongs. Um, so they're all kind of, like, put with different cops. But because Peter is running late, Sally has to, like, end up riding with uh, with Captain Stacy because he's the last one there. And she's mad that they're going to have to ride with the teacher, which I do like. That she's like, oh, great, we got to ride with the teacher. No offense. <laughs> Which is the first of multiple instances of Sally doing like a faux pas and saying no offense. Yeah. Not actually caring about who she's hurting or mm-hmm. offending whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but it's great. One thing worth pointing out is that they do like a ton of cutting back and forth between a few things. Sure. So the way that we're going to describe things isn't exactly in order because they do so much cutting. So if you're watching and you're like, I feel like this is a little out of order. It is because the timeline of events still lines up. So a couple things got mashed. Don't mm-hmm. add us. <laughs> yep. 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 Like, for example, I think we might have seen me see the scene a little bit earlier than Sally complaining, but th- we do see like Harry. It's important for later. We see Harry in the f- cruiser with Flash um, and he kind of realizes that like Flash isn't just being a sad about Shashan. He's actually like being really vicious to Harry, like in a really apparent way so like flash has some kind of beef with harry and it's not clear what that is yet yeah it does uh there is like a a brief bit where the conversation like turns into a debate about like who's better spider-man or the police like who's actually stopping crime it's stan carter who is like has this really menacing thing about like i think spidey hasn't gone far enough which if you know from the comics he becomes the sin eater guy who like is like a cop turned murderer or whatever so cool yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because, you know, I said before 
when we were getting into this arc that like, I don't know, we might have to have a conversation about the whole cop thing because this is the criminology arc. Captain Stacy is a big part of it. And I remember that there was an episode where they were in cop cars, but I didn't remember like how much police stuff was like addressed. It's a lot lighter than I thought yeah. it was. Like they really don't get into it at all. It's just, it's just to like get characters from point A to point B, honestly. Yeah. I don't actually, yeah, there's, I don't think there's all that much to talk about because I don't think that this episode, which is the one I would have worried about. Yeah. Does same. very much glorifying of the police at all. I mean, they have a number of police characters who have different beliefs about things and are varyingly, varyingly, <laughs> uh, whatever. They have varying degrees of success at their job. So yeah. the episode itself doesn't seem to make a commentary on the police in the way I would have expected. Yeah, they're just like in the world. Like, that's yeah. it. And I think what's really interesting is that like in this show, the cops don't do much anyway. Most of the time. They often fail. Often fail. Most of the time they're just on the sidelines watching while Spidey beats yeah. up the supervillains. So like, which, you know, it's a it's fine. Like, it's not making a statement either way. Like. It's like they have to exist in the world because it's like mimicking the real world and they yeah. exist, right? They're but relatively like, neutral. I, the only thing that really – I mean they're always there to like apprehend criminals, but that's a relatively neutral thing too. You know what I yeah. mean? Like when they're not acting, that's sort of like their main role is like to step in at the end and like walk the bad guy away. <laughs> It's pretty much their like biggest role. Yeah, pretty much. It's always it's always it's it's weird like nowadays like going into this stuff because like that's such a a conversation to be had often, but it's kind of it's always refreshing when it's like okay, they're really like there's nothing here. It's really happening. Yeah. There's definitely plenty of other cases where it's a little more complicated to talk yeah, about. Yeah, this but. feels like less of a statement than so many other Spider-Man properties. Like, yeah. I think about, like, even, you know, we talk so much about the amazing Spider-Man movies. Like, far less of a, a statement than those movies. I think this is less of a statement than even, like, the PS4 game, which I didn't feel like had a massive statement, but had, like, a passive statement. Like, there's barely any statement here. Yeah. You'd, you'd have to derive it from Captain Stacy himself. And even then, what we're building towards, I think, is a statement that I wouldn't take too much issue with if it goes where I think it's going. Mm-hmm. So well, I, I think the thing that, that they do really well in this episode is that, like, even though the students are on police ride alongs, we never are hearing any of the actual lessons that they might be learning related to yeah. their, their school stuff. Like we don't hear the police yep. talk about how they do their job or anything like that. No. Like there's this one exchange that we get and it has nothing to do with actual real, really being cops. It's more like if you were a cop in the same world that Spider-Man existed in, what would your conflicting feelings be? And that's as far as they go. And All the, the two disagree on, in like a pretty extreme way. So like, I don't even think you're supposed to take a side based on the arguments they're making. Yeah, like is Spider-Man <laughs> doing enough or, or is he doing too much? Like, yeah, that's and that's it. And there's no answer that anybody lands on. And these aren't like fleshed out enough characters for us to like mm -hmm. really care enough to take a side with. It's just like the question that's in the world that it makes sense for these characters to say. Otherwise, the episode is way more focused on like what happens interpersonally if these characters are put together, which is so smart and so much more interesting than if they try to shoehorn in any like actual lessons or like yeah. whatever they're learning in school. It's like, who cares? Whatever. It feels way more. <laughs> yeah. It feels way more akin to like the Ned Lee interviews than anything else. You know what I mean? Like it just carries things forward and is a yeah. connective thread. 
Yeah, I like that. So it's funny because I end up liking this episode a lot more than I think I would have going back to it in 2020. Yeah. Because, yeah, it all still holds up. So cool. Good Mm -hmm. job, guys. I don't (laughs) think that was like intentionally what you were trying to avoid when you were writing this, but works out for us. (laughs) I imagine they – I feel like it makes perfect sense. They probably wouldn't have – wanted to have a like here's what we do as police officers like that would have felt unnatural anyway yeah i don't know i don't think it would have would have made a whole lot of sense given the general tone and humor of the show definitely so worked out (laughs) so let's see we cut back to metro bank because peter's not on his ride along yet and spider-man finds shocker who in their conversation references a we. So Spider-Man's like, wait a second, we? Who else is here? And as he's wondering that, he gets tackled by Ricochet. (laughs) So there's your answer, buddy. They briefly battle him and the new enforcers, but he actually fails to stop their heist at all. I think he's kind of overwhelmed by the combination of knowing who they are, but them having new powers. And in a sort of mild karmic moment, Shocker blasts the ceiling over Spidey, dropping a small pile of rubble on top of him, which I thought was delightful. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was I thought it was adorable. <laughs> yeah. He's earned that much. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So Spider-Man knows that they exist now and that they are part of whatever story is unfolding. Back in Oscorp, we see Norman who's with Hammerhead. Hmm. Yeah, and they're having a conversation about how the big man is looking for a new supervillain, which hasn't really come up since the first season where Norman was helping the big man make supervillains, but they're back for more now. So Norman's like, yeah, sure, fine, whatever, why not? (laughs) That's never gone badly. (laughs) (laughs) And this time, though, he says he has the perfect scientist for the project, He never names who the scientist is. I think you could probably maybe guess who it is. But uh, he's kind of of listing off qualities in this undefined scientist that he's sure the big man will appreciate. But it's 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 a nice little writery thing because everything that Norman says applies to, like, everything that Hammerhead will be thinking about and the qualities that Hammerhead has been thinking about both in himself and regarding the big man. And it sort of kind of subtly props him up as an equal to the big man. And we know that Hammerhead's been kind of going through some stuff regarding his loyalty to big man. So this definitely is going to make him think, and he's kind of catching the drift that Norman is suggesting. Yeah. I love this. This is also with like, 2020 hindsight right like knowing what happens next and where this goes but i think the stuff that they do with tombstone hammerhead and norman osborne in this arc is probably the best thing probably the best thing they did this season so far oh from like a writer standpoint like it just feels really well crafted and i really enjoy it (laughs) well and it's all like it, weird, it feels weird to say subtly done because it's all kind of spelled out here, but like it's subtly done in that like it's it's paced out in really nice increments throughout the arc and builds on itself in a really nice way. Like Hammerhead is not a character I would have ever considered interesting that I would have ever cared about. I can't imagine that anyone's favorite supervillain from Spider-Man is Hammerhead. And yet he has a really good natural organic 
arc in this yeah. arc that makes sense. Like his progression and his thought process, you can always track it and it ends up propelling a lot of stuff. And the thing is like, it's not just him doing stuff. It's also how he interacts with other people and how other parties are, are influencing him and everything. So it's yeah. like, it's just, yeah, it's all really nicely crafted. And, and it's a, again, a thing we talk about the show doing really well is that, it has these pieces on the board and it just knows how to play with all of them yeah. um, and have them intersect in different ways and just create really cool stories with them. Yeah. I think one thing that, that I, f- I really like about it is that it's not, like you said, it's, it's subtle, but not, I think it's subtle in the universe, but it's not subtle to the audience. So you can kind of see everything happening without the characters in the scene being yeah. like super straightforward and direct. Like, he 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 props Hammerhead up, but he doesn't sit there and say like, "You're as good as the big man." Did you know that? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I I I like that and the and the relationship that it has to the overall sort of like crime lord war that we saw beginning to boil in the last episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff. I don't know. Is that a wild thing to say? I feel like this arc is like really well well pieced together in a way that I don't know that the other ones sort of were not that they weren't well pieced together, but I feel like this is, this feels more characteristic to, I think our conversations during the first season than I feel like the previous arcs this season do to previous season. I think, no, I see what you're saying. I think it's more, it's more consistent than, than we've gotten this season. If only because I think the first half of the season was really trying to do some experimental stuff. And the downside of that is that things just are naturally not going to go as smoothly in terms of like integrated plots and everything, I guess. And I think the other arcs were more straightforward, which I don't think is a problem. But I think one of the things I, I that I appreciate so much about the show is its ability to sort of like weave character storylines together. And I feel like it does it in a complex way that I don't think necessarily existed in at least the last arc that we covered and a mm, little bit yeah. in the first arc we covered. I don't know. Like maybe it did it a little bit more in sort of the, the high school soap opera stuff, but not as much in some of these villains uh, stories, but I guess there weren't like huge villains in the last one at all. I don't know. There's just something well, about this that feels like exciting in the way that it's woven together and how you can kind of see the pieces connecting and where they're kind of going that didn't feel as present in that exciting way as the the past couple that we've we've covered. I think I see what you're saying. It's like I think it's 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 I think a big part of it is that there's so this is a really complex arc in in how it's plotted that like just because there's so many parties in play that are all kind of are equally in play, but it doesn't feel like it's a complex story. Like it's still an easy, it's still a really easy story to follow Mm -hmm. that doesn't feel like overstuffed or overly complicated, but it's something that like that had to take a lot of work to write well, because there are a lot of places that this could have been complicated and chaotic. And it's supposed to be kind of chaotic to an extent because of how many, how much like duplicity is happening and how many different conflicting interests there are and everything. And the fact that like there's always like multiple other storylines happening in conjunction with this like main arc story that is also very complicated. So, but the fact that all of it still feels streamlined somehow just because of like how well it's presented, I think is what makes it like it, that's what makes it the kind of stunning uh, stunning experience that like we got from the first season. It's just like, I can't believe that they were doing all of this at the same time and it all worked and all felt so smooth. Yes. 
there's a smoothness to the chess game. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's nice. And this is sort of the beginning of, of, well, I guess the beginning of the chess game was last episode, but this is where yeah. you realize the chess game's not over, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and that that wasn't just like a bunch of fun stuff. Like that was actually all kind of mm-hmm. setting up different, like the plot from that episode isn't necessarily continuing in like what they were specifically doing, but all of the character dynamics that were established and like kind of where everyone yeah. is at does. So yeah, yep. yeah, it's great. It's good. Hey, three act. It's a three act structure in this arc. Like it's beautiful, it's perfectly executed. Yeah. Well, we get away from all that stuff and back into a cruiser. Uh, this is MJ and Mark's cruiser, and they're having just the biggest f- flirtation that you could just ever imagine. But hey, it's MJ and. Mark kind of is the perfect complement to MJ's like sensual flirtiness. So they're like, hey, I mean, you know, we're not we're not into like coupling or commitment, you know, (laughs) we want (laughs) to I like how you wrote this in the notes. It's like they agree to a date, but like not a date date, maybe a date date date. But (laughs) they I write that because they literally say like and this is a whole joke with the police officers, too. They say like. A date? And then, who? I don't remember who says it first, but then the other person is like, but not a date date. And they're like, yeah. And then the police officer in the front is like, are we on a ride-along or are we on a ride-along ride-along? And I was like, oh my God, I love that the police officer is just like blatantly making fun of them because they're blatantly being like flirty and like basically like sitting on each other's laps in the back of this right? police car. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. But also so strange because here's the thing. Knowing that this is the last season of this show, I am imagining that this series ends with MJ being like a not like a not not non-committal, but like not into commitment or being in defined relationships type of character, which mm-hmm. is such a funny thing to consider since in most iterations she ends up in a seriously committed relationship with Peter. So I'm fully expecting <laughs> that this version of MJ never gets together with Peter at all and also never officially gets together with anybody in any committed relationship, <laughs> which is such a funny thing to think about. <laughs> like, uh, just... No, they get, they'll get married in the finale. What are you talking about? But, uh-huh. you know, it's all leading up no, that. we've already... I. <laughs> <laughs> Unless we get that five-year time jump you referenced a few episodes ago. I'm not here for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's good, though. I love it. I love what they've done with MJ in this show so much. She's so fun. I like it, but I I don't think I can fully like it knowing that it doesn't go anywhere. You know what I mean? Because I don't like this as a final characterization of Mary Jane. I like it as part of Mary Jane's journey and part of Mary Jane's like establishing characteristics, like part of her establishing character. But I feel like if I if I got like six seasons of this being MJ, like I don't think I'd be that into it by the sixth season. No, that's true. I mean, I think they were definitely playing the long game with her yeah. in a way that could have been really, really cool. And in a way that I think like is really probably the best way to do Mary Jane. Like if you're trying to do the kind of old school quintessential Mary Jane, mm-hmm. I think the, probably the heart of the reason that so many iterations have not necessarily gotten her wrong, but just like made versions of Mary Jane that like don't really feel like the comics Mary Jane is that I think that the thing that that's so interesting about the, the comics Mary Jane in retrospect, like with history behind her, is just how much she progresses from her first introduction and like the development she goes through and how we learn more about her. And she sort of like gains like depths as, as a character 
to eventually get to the point where she and Peter like are compatible and can be married and stuff. Like, I think that that stuff is so interesting and so important to her character. And like, if, if you're not playing that long game, you kind of just have to distill one aspect of her and it ends up like not feeling like enough or feeling like too much of one thing or another. Like, I don't feel like the, the nineties Mary Jane, really feels like quintessential Mary Jane because like all the stuff that I like about her, like it's sort of like they had to skip past the party girl stuff to the, like up to the point where she's like sort of toned down and ready to settle down with Peter, except like, that's not what makes Mary Jane interesting. But in this case, like it's all the early Mary Jane that's like noncommittal kind of party girl sort of situation. And it's like, I think that works really well and I love her, but it's only going to be satisfying if you see the end result of it. And obviously we never do because this ends at the end of this season. So it's a bummer. Yeah. I think it's a fun dimension, but I, and I don't think it's because it's specifically Mary Jane necessarily. I think it's a fun dimension, but because it is a long game dimension, I'm worried it will ultimately feel like it was sort of one dimensional. She's more than that. I mean, she has multiple dimensions, especially when she's like, being a like friend Mary Jane especially like specifically to to Gwen but uh, I think that's what it is for me where I'm like oh I'm so, it's I guess more of it is like sad that I won't get to see yeah. where it ultimately goes but I guess that's just the case with anybody yeah but hey we still got three episodes or four episodes after this right so who knows what can happen I love how much you promise me like I know you're just you're you're just setting me up here <laughs> promising me resolution there's no resolution i'm not promising you resolution. No resolution i'm not promising you resolution i'm just saying you never know what happens they'll get married derek <laughs> <laughs> i mean life doesn't end you never know you what could happen in three episodes maybe they'll life cover doesn't four decades after. of spider-man content <laughs> yeah they get married and they would have had a long happy life after that that would have played out over five more seasons. Life doesn't mm-hmm. end after you get married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Nothing will be resolved. That's what I'm sticking with. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the safer thing to, 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 to keep in mind. But, you know. Hello, amazing friends. We just wanted to take a quick moment to shout out our spectacular and up patrons, Katie, Joe, Greg, Mike, Flux, Eric, Carl, and Lily. If you would like to join our Patreon, we have a ton of great bonus content waiting for you. We have our Spider Bites, where we talk about pretty much whatever we want in the Spider-Man universe, such as comics, like the current Miles Morales series, and classics like Kraven's Last Hunt. Sometimes we do deep dives into Spider-Man stuff, like our miniseries on the unmade Spider-Man movies. Or we spin off into other topics, like the Blade movies or the Firestar comics. Sometimes we'll do some bonus content just because we happen to have it, like Peaks Behind the Curtain or how we make certain episodes. And if you join us at the $5 Spectacular level, you also get access to our After Dark commentaries, where we let loose and talk about shows that aren't Spider-Man related without a filter. Shows like Gargoyles, Batman Beyond, Muppet Babies, and more. Ultimately, these are the types of things that we're going to talk about anyway, so recording it and making it available on Patreon is our way of saying thank you so much for supporting this show and letting us do the types of things we really want to do. Whatever tier you opt into, thank you so much. Whether you're an avid listener or just stopping by, we appreciate that too. From your friendly neighborhood podcasters, thank you.
Anyway, 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 Sally is still waiting with Captain Stacy, by the way. Peter does finally show up. He's noticeably limping, but I don't think anybody comments on it because Peter's just always hurt and no one ever comments on it on this show. <laughs> but I do think um, it's significant only because it happens in front of Captain Stacy, who has been tracking in a specific way the past few episodes. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, he, he gets in the car with Sally. We don't really see much what happens with them because we do eventually cut to Peter, just Peter and Sally's and Flash and Harry's ride-alongs, bringing them to the exact same bank where Spidey was just at, clashing with the new enforcers. We see the police officers, like, kind of investigating what was going on. They're sort of, like, finding bits and pieces of clues. It's a lot of damage in there. But the students themselves are obviously just like standing in the entrance watching. So they're kind of like talking and and just observing. But Sally ends up in her very Sally way delivering like a whole diatribe against Peter for I mean, first she says like you like this is all your fault, which of course Peter's like, What? Uh none of this could be my fault. Um, thinking she's talking about Spider-Man for some reason. <laughs> But she's like, no, like the social order, you you ruined the social order. Um, and she explains that basically what she's been crying about for the past, like this whole season, this idea that, you know, Liz is going out with him, Flash is courting a nerd, everything's out of whack. And she's just, she's just being her. And particularly that Flash is courting the nerd and sh- the nerd is turning him down. Yeah. Which then she's like, no offense, Flash. Yeah. Another <laughs> one of those beautiful moments. <laughs> I don't even know why she's saying that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's like everybody – it's like I guess because, I mean, this episode does try to humanize her a little bit. So, like, True. I think that's one signal where it's just sort of like she is aware when she's, like, hurting people. And, like, she isn't actually necessarily always trying to cause harm to people. She's just extremely blunt and doesn't really care about what anyone thinks yeah. about what she's saying because she thinks that she's right. Yeah. That, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that's true. It sort of like builds up to her humanizing moment. But in this case, she's mostly just being Sally. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> the, one yeah. of the officers finds Spiderweb at the scene. And this is the officer who in the car was being like, oh, maybe Spider-Man's a bad guy after all. So her first inclination is like, aha. But Captain Stacy's like, no, this doesn't really look like damage that Spider-Man would cause. It's very clear that he was fighting against some people. And he ends up discovering that there's like a hole in the wall that leads to the building next door, which is actually a dry cleaner. So he's like, you know, I think maybe the bank wasn't actually the target because whoever was here was clearly hiding this hole that leads into the dry cleaner. The dry cleaner was the target. So Peter's like, well, that's weird. Like, why would the new enforcers rob a dry cleaner? And then we cut to the trio arriving in an armored truck and new security uniforms, which they would have gotten from the dry cleaner, to a Federal Reserve building, which is clever. Yeah, I think it's all pretty clever. (laughs) I love this one. After that, we cut to Liz and Gwen. That great pairing that's not going to have any tension whatsoever between the two. And they have this like really awkward conversation about their respective boyfriends. They're really nice about it. And I do like, again, cause I always like to call out whenever like Gwen's being like cool is that she is the one that like does try to start the conversation with Gwen. Like they're clearly in an awkward silence and she like is the first one to be like, Hey, yeah. So how, how are things you and Harry are cool. Right? Like, 
that's nice of her to like try to defuse the situation. But then I what's guess. less? I don't what's think less nice, being that cool. <laughs> no, I like that she's at least like being nice at the bat off the bat. But then it takes a dark turn in the end because then when Gwen compliments her and is like, "You and Peter make a great couple," then Liz is just like, "Yeah." We do. It's like, oh, damn, bitch. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm too cynical, but I read that as the intention the whole time. I read it as she she started that conversation knowing that's where it would go. I guess so. I mean, uh, yeah. Which I didn't love because I do like Liz, but I, I also so, recognize but... that by this point, well, not by this point necessarily, just in general, Liz is also not an idiot. So she knows that there has been some kind of history between the two and she knew that she needed to make a move first so i get it (laughs) but i i i felt like she was doing that from the jump (laughs) it's it's a charitable take that i have on it but i do i feel like she was just trying to defuse the situation and then it just like kind of went in a bad direction after that where else would it have gone (laughs) i don't know where else it possibly could have gone that's true (laughs) <laughs> I just like I just like Liz, but you know Gwen's kind too. of like, Gwen's very much like a particular button, a, a particular button that Liz has that is pushed often, and so yeah. like I think that Gwen brings out her dark side because they have this like unfortunate rivalry over this guy that doesn't deserve either of them. So yeah, I wish it didn't though, because Liz is so cool and Liz got the guy. I mean, I know. You know. <sighs> yeah, I don't like it. I, I know. I know what's brewing. Like we've seen what's brewing. But uh, Liz hasn't seen it exactly the way we have. So I wish that, I don't know, it's it's human nature, but I wish that she yeah. could just be as cool in general as she is with Peter when they're alone. But I get it. I get it. Yeah. And I think some of it stems, I, 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 I'm going to have things to say next week, but I do think, I think it. another charitable view of it is that I think some of it comes more, less from her just like, having just a rivalry with a girl she doesn't like because she doesn't want her, to, want her to steal his, or she doesn't want her to steal her man. So much as that, like, I do think that there is, um, like, a self-confidence issue with it where it's sort of, like, fear issue behind it that it's manifesting this way. I wouldn't argue with that at all. I don't, I actually wouldn't call it a rivalry. I, f- I feel like rivalry is not even the right word. I think she is nervous and insecure like i think that's what it is i don't think that i don't think that erases the fact that i think she was being kind of mean here though i think it i think that's born out of the insecurity you know what i mean that's why i'm saying like i wish she just felt like as comfortable in general and as secure in general um yeah not from a writing standpoint like don't get me wrong i'm not criticizing the writing this is me like caring about her as a character (laughs) I think the writing's very good in that it's very human. She's yeah, she's doing what it, what teenage girls do, really. I totally. mean, not even teenage girls, it's like what adult adult people in general do yeah, sometimes. People so. in general. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. So it checks out. It's just unfortunate. But she does a lot of other stuff that I like, so it's fine. Everybody has their dark moments. <laughs> but anyway, outside of the Metro Bank, Harry so Harry does sort of confront Flash about, like, why he's being so mean, particularly because, like, theoretically they put all that behind him. The last season when Harry joined the football team and ended up kind of being part of the cool crowd, right? Like, the bullying kind of stopped at that point. And that's when Flash, like, makes very clear and tells him straight up that, like, he resents Harry for leaving the football team right when they needed him. And granted, like, 
they still won the champion championship and like Hobie stepped up. So like technically it all worked out, but he's like, Hey, Harry, you were like super fast. If I had someone with your speed, I might not have gotten this knee injury, which he's still walking. He's not on crutches anymore, by the way, but he is walking on a cane. So like, just to be clear, like they've tracked how long the healing process takes. And I think him still being on a cane at this point, like shows how bad that injury was. So he has like one other thing to point to about how much he's like, he has a, I think he has an understandable reason to resent Harry given, you know, what he kind of had to sacrifice for the fo- football team. Yeah. Um, I think I understand it cause it's human, but I, I, I would put it in the same category as Liz yeah. Where it's like, I understand where you're coming from, but I that is not an excuse. You're being shitty and manipulative. <laughs> we also expect it from Flash, though. <laughs> I think we expect it more from Flash than we do totally. from Liz is the difference. So it's like, yeah, if honestly, if Harry never called Flash out for being a dick to him, I would have just accepted it because Flash is a dick often and he was just in a bad yeah. mood that day. Um, so I think it's actually kind of cool that Harry's like, hold up a minute. What? What's happening right now? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I like the moment. It's it's there's just two people in the same episode taking out their frustration or insecurities on people who aren't actually responsible for what happened. Like Harry's not actually responsible for Flash's injury. I get where Mm -hmm. he's coming from and I know why he sees it that way. But Harry's not actually responsible for that. So it it feels again like good writing. Like I I feel like maybe I'm not being super articulate. Like but it's it's very human. It's very real. So I'm I'm solely criticizing the character, not the writing. Yeah, it's such a it's such a realistic like reaction to that kind of stuff. The way you like just stupidly rationalize stuff because you have to put blame on somebody in your head sometimes. Mm-hmm. But this scene ends up taking a turn. It's all it all happens really quickly. But Harry pretty quickly comes out about his addiction that he had uh, in the previous season. He spells out like he was on a thing called glo- globulin green. It like affected him, and he had to leave to get off of it essentially and flash like interprets this as that harry basically was on steroids essentially which is essentially true so he's like harry you're playing juiced and says that revelation could strip them of any of the wins that harry was part of completely disqualifying all of the games that they played with harry which means that they would lose their championship which is an angle that like when i originally watched this i like did not think about that at all like that 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 those two storylines would ultimately like come into play like that yeah i I mean this show is so good about those like long-term details that it all makes perfect sense and it all tracks but i never would have expected it to come back you know what i mean like sort of in the way that from your average show i wouldn't have expected flash to go from being immobile to being on crutches to having a cane that's a thing so many shows would not spend any time on this is another Mm -hmm. thing that so many shows would never spend time on because it doesn't have to come back but there's an opportunity there for it to like inform interactions and character developments and plot points um, that it's so smart to bring it back yeah, it's great because it's like as much as that globulin green stuff was fuel for the Green Goblin story, I love that like it also plays in very heavily to just the basic teen story too. Yeah. I love it. It's all great. But anyway, back to the enforcers, you know, the stuff that's really interesting about this episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> having uh, having gained access, the, uh, the uh, enforcers kind of further infiltrate the Federal Reserve. They uh, disable its security. So they're in there now. Peter, Sally, and Captain Stacy arrive there 
But it's after the enforcers are like easily handling a whole wave of officers because, uh, you know, they got superpowers and they're just fighting regular cops. Captain Stacy instructs Peter and Stally to like stay in this like mobile command center where they'll be protected. But, you know, Peter wants to fight a Spider-Man. So he like tries to make up an excuse to hide behind a van to snap some photos for the bugle. And Stacy, of course, is like, oh, yes, Peter, who I don't know is Spider-Man. Right. Wink, wink. <laughs> Gives him a little like knowing <laughs> hand on the shoulder. <laughs> this is it's this. Oh, these past few episodes have been so I'm not even going to say confusing because I don't think I'm meant. To, well, I no. think I am meant to be a little bit confused I, because what's funny is like it's very obvious. I think that they want us to think that he knows, but they have done nothing to actually confirm that he knows, which feels and maybe this is another reason why I think this particular arc feels so much or is giving me the same feelings as the first season. But it's that same sort of vibe where I'm like. They know what I'm feeling right now. They have built a specific situation to make me feel a certain way, and yet they haven't confirmed it. So they're literally just directing me somewhere where I think I know what the destination is, but at any point, because they haven't confirmed anything, they could they could swerve and be like, oh, Spider-Man reveals his identity to... Captain Stacy, assuming Captain Stacy knew, and Captain Stacy is in fact surprised because he never knew the whole time. Like, you know what I mean? Like they, yeah. they they're so good at this. <laughs> and it's 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 it makes it so doubly weird because like it's they've been like so obvious about how about you needing to pay attention to it. Like it has its own musical sting. Mm-hmm. It's like they make sure the line delivery is so almost over the top, like in in how it's like there are layers to the things that I am saying right now. Like, what I'm saying doesn't mean what I'm saying. And it's, like, kind of uncharacteristic for the show. Like, it's normally a little bit subtler about that stuff. So the fact that it's, like, calling so much attention to it every time, and it's been, like, multiple episodes in a row, it's like, what do you want me to... Like, I feel like I already know what you want me to think, but you want it so hard that I'm confused, and I don't know if that's true. I think it's... Yeah, I think it's, like... um, yeah, I, th- I think that's exactly it. Yeah, I, 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 I think I know what you want me to think, but I, I have to question it because of how hard you want me to think it. Yes, that is exactly it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you for translating so, that. I, I don't even know if I translated. I think I just said the exact <laughs> same thing you said. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, anyway, uh, whatever. Either way, Peter's got his out to be Spider-Man. So, uh, meanwhile, the Enforcers, like, reach this underground vault with, like, a billion dollars worth of gold. Like, just old school gold bars. And then they trap themselves in it by destroying the elevator that they, like, just used to go down. Oh, the the elevator is the scene where Ox is humming the spectacular Spider-Man theme song. Awesome. Love it. Fabulous. Great. It's great because it's not, it's not, like, um, super characteristic of the show to do something that's kind of like a it's it's not really a fourth wall break but he says it's catchy but there's no like that that song doesn't exist in universe it's it's purely for us <laughs> like, right yeah it's, it's cute it's so funny it caught me off guard because i was like did he yeah. oh he did <laughs> mm-hmm. it's great yeah yep yep i i want to believe i really want to believe that danny trejo just actually did that in the booth and was saying that to whomever was like recording him you know, because oh, it is God. so uncharacteristic as far as the type of humor that they use, that they were just like, this is actually kind of brilliant and we're going to use it for the actual episode. Wow, I love That's that. what I want to believe. 
I love that. I hope that that's true. I'm going to pretend that that's true. It feels very Danny Trejo. <laughs> it does. I'm just going to headcanon this thing about the real world. Yeah. Now. Wow. <laughs> we could never know the truth. Yeah. Impossible. Right. Right. <laughs> right. No way. Yeah. Okay. So I'll believe that. Um, but yeah, so, you know, they're down there. They destroy the elevator. Um, Spidey arrives and, you know, he lets Captain Stacy know he knows exactly who the perpetrators are. And then we cut back to the, enfor- the enforcers who are loading up the gold bars. Shocker confirms there's an underground train car waiting for them on the other side of this vault's wall. What a wildly complicated plan that they have that required so much setup for this. Like, how is, how is there a train down there? I don't know. But hey, you got all these criminals with lots of money and connections that can just build a railroad and add a train. Or maybe there was already just happened to be a neighboring like subway there that they added a train whatever it doesn't matter it's i don't cool. know it's fine honestly fine. from the moment they get to the federal reserve <laughs> to blur. the moment this whole thing's over this is like potentially as much as i'm praising the arc as a whole the federal reserve scene is like maybe some of the most boring stuff the show's done <laughs> it's hard too because we've had so many like the past two episodes had some of the best fight sequences that we've had all season and then spoiler the one after this does too i feel like so like it's weird where this one lands because it has characters that, I mean, Ricochet has like a, th- in theory, creative power, but like Ox and Shocker, we've seen Shocker plenty of times and Ox is just like a tank. Like you can't really do that much with them. And I think they do all that they can with them, but like they're not in that interesting of a setting. Oh, like see, they're I not think... that interesting of personalities. Like, I don't know. See, I think Ricochet is part of the reason this doesn't, they don't pull this off. I think as far as the fight goes, and I guess, are we, is that where we're at? I mean, we might as well. Yeah, If there's anything, I don't know. Let's see. Where are we? Uh, Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Police are confused that the enforcers destroyed the elevator. Spider-Man's like, it's fine. Shocker wouldn't make a mistake, so I'm sure they did it on purpose. So he goes down there. This is where we kind of like get to our beginning of the fight sequence because the enforcers see him doing this. Fight commence. Okay. Let's talk about the fight. (laughs) I think that Ricochet is part of the reason this fight ends up not being all that great because I think his power is cool in concept and corny in execution. So I feel like a lot of what they Mm. do is like, wouldn't it be cool if he were bouncing around? But then when you actually see him bouncing around, you're like, that doesn't actually look cool, especially in comparison to all the cool stuff we've seen. So I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's my bias, like not thinking that this power looks cool. But I actually think, you know, Ox is probably the one who does more cool stuff than anybody else because he's literally just like slamming people around. Yeah. And that's like no, I think that's, choreography. <laughs> I think that's fair. The only thing that I think they do right with Ricochet is just the idea of having him in an elevator shaft for a second. Like, I think that that's a cool idea for a bouncy character, but then nothing else that they do with him is really that interesting. No, I agree. I think the idea of him is good. I just don't think it looks good. I think, yeah, I mean, I didn't have a problem with how it looked. I think it was just, like, not interesting to look at. And I think that if Ricochet as a character, like... <laughs> how are those different? It, like, like, <laughs> it's more like you can, like, I wasn't, I didn't feel, like, bored watching it necessarily in that, like, 
it wasn't ugly and it didn't feel like I was like waiting for it to be over, but I also wasn't like entranced by it in the way that a lot of other fight sequences are where I'm like actually kind of interested in paying attention to the choreography or where they end up. Like it wasn't like it wasn't boring, but it wasn't thrilling is where I land. Mm. Like, I don't think it was ugly animation or anything like that. It just also wasn't very interesting animation at the same time. Mm. And like, I think if Ricochet wasn't Fancy Dan and if it was like a character with a personality that matches like wacky bouncy personality, like you could have like humor to supplement that, you know, because it is kind of a silly looking power that could maybe look cool. But if it doesn't look cool, it can at least be like kind of silly and weird. And if you had a personality that matched that, it might be fine. But the fact that like Fancy Dan is boring and kind of monotone, like I think Phil Lamar voices him and he's like a good voice actor and he does fine. But like, He's just supposed to be playing him as just, like, a cowboy guy, kind of. That's boring. Like, that's it. So, like, there's just nothing about him that ends up being interesting, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with all the, the stuff about Ricochet and that he's he's not very interesting and probably because he's Fancy Dan. I think I would I would probably be less forgiving on the animation. I think when you consider, like, the whole fight sequence, I do think a lot of it's ugly. And I think it's... it's uh, I don't I don't think it's pleasant to look at. <laughs> okay. I think a lot of the like I mean one they use they use a lot more CGI in this than many other scenes. That's true. And this show doesn't have a good history with CGI as far as we've nope. seen. Nope. Um so seeing more of it was not something I was thrilled with and then I feel like they also when the way that this fight kind of goes, I mean, they fight a little bit in the tunnel. They fight a little bit on the car. They fight a little bit in the in the car. And I think all of these are, like, interesting settings. Like, I, I get why they would want to do them. But I think when they get to the point where the car, you know, like, Ricochet is bouncing around in the car. And then, you know, Spider-Man manages to, like, stop the car and it flips over. And you see in the car where they're all sort of, like, bouncing around. I think that's ugly. Like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's good to look at. I don't think there's mm-hmm. anything really interesting about it. And I was really surprised because I was like, this is sort of weird that there's just like, they're just kind of like bouncing them around. I guess I get it in concept, but I just, I was like surprised that the execution just like wasn't very interesting. Yeah. It's like kind of a bummer, but I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Cause like, again, enforcers have, have not to this point been very interesting. And I think if they had other villains, they would have spent more time ensuring that it was interesting you know what i mean i don't know yeah yeah the thing that was good about the enforcers i think in the their first appearance is that they weren't the main enemies they were just like another party that made things more complicated so like when they're front and center it's not great <laughs> yeah well and i think this episode largely they work when they're not because they're not really meant to be front and center here like they are yeah. players in a bigger plot but in this sequence, like, they are front and center, and so it's like, okay, <laughs> uh, cool, I guess. Yeah. I Maybe I'm being hard on it, but I, I, I just – I thought this was, uh, like, a huge step down from a lot of the stuff we've seen, especially recently. Yeah, I guess I like I like the ideas of the fight sequence. Like I like the elevator shaft idea, and I do like the idea of just fighting on a, like a moving train. Totally. But you know that's always good. But I like but yeah, the idea of all of them in that tiny space fighting. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, it's not that interesting in general. Like I think we could both land on that for sure. <laughs> so yeah, if I'm ranking the fight <laughs> sequences, this is very low. <laughs> yeah, I mean I would agree with that. I don't know if I can think of one that is less interesting than this one ultimately. 
Not immediately off the top of my head. That's for sure. Yep. Yep. Where are we at? We're so they have their little clash, right? Yeah. I mean, I kind of we can get more detailed, but we don't have to. We don't have to. He stops. We can just stay. He stops the car. (laughs) And they all fly out of the car. They fight. All fly out of the car. Turns over. (laughs) (laughs) I will say, like, basically the the car entirely flips over multiple times and everybody walks away from it seemingly unharmed <laughs> which i guess makes sense because they're all in like super suits yeah but i was not expecting all of them to just be like all right well let's grab our gold and get on out of here <laughs> shocker did have an entire building fall on him and true seemed and was fine after it and so you know spider-man should be dead many times over so i guess yeah. i shouldn't have been surprised but yeah it was uh it's pretty brutal <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you know they they get away and they make their the enforcers actually make their way all the way up to the surface. Spidey does follow, um, and they have like a mini confrontation. But Shocker like blows up the van that Peter had told Sally and Stacy that he'd be hiding behind. By the way, he just like webbed his camera to that van when when we first saw him there. What if someone like wanted to get into that van and drive away? Like who owns that van? It wasn't a yeah. police van. So this is like serious 1981 energy. Like, just stick the camera anywhere, and I'll get cool pictures. <laughs> like, yeah. what? Yeah. I mean, I I guess it was pointed at the front of the reserve building, but that doesn't seem like a great strategy. And you're right. It's right. on, like, a vehicle that could theoretically just drive away. <laughs> right. Right. So, not smart thinking, Peter. It that doesn't matter, because the van gets blown up. So, like... Sally and Stacy see this and even see Peter's camera fly out in the destruction. So they're like, oh God, Peter. And he even gives Sally a really nice, like the way that she yells Peter is very, is actually like uncharacteristically emotional for Peter. Uh, it's always nice when Sally screams and it's not shrill. So true. <laughs> so the enforcers, despite, you know, having clashed with Spider-Man do begin to escape probably because they set off this huge explosion. Uh, But their vehicle ends up hitting a set of road spikes, which are quickly revealed to have been placed by the one and only Hammerhead's driver, who we love. I love her so much. She's the best. She's great. (laughs) Love her. And uh, as a result of this, the enforcers are ultimately apprehended. And as they are taken into custody, Hammerhead's car drives by them, and he smirks, obviously pleased which is interesting because in theory hammerhead should have been on the same side as them since they were hired by hammerhead's boss so interesting note for later (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh here's my little reach around in the same way that hammerhead was jealous of all the attention the enforcers were getting from the big man and it manifests in a not great way Liz is was always is always jealous of all the attention that Gwen is getting from Peter and it manifests in a not great way. It's all connected. I think there are a lot of folks taking out their feelings in destructive ways. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> By feeling like inadequate and insecure in, in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. Is it as, is that what we're trying to assign as the theme of this arc? <laughs> I just decided that just now. I don't think it applies to the entire arc, but I think it applies to this episode. I think that's what everybody's dealing yeah, with. Yeah, I think it's an interesting yeah. parallel. Yeah. I, I I have no qualms with that. 
yeah, anyway, so, you know, that, that van was blown up, like we said. It's being tended to by the fire department. Captain Stacy even, like, tells her, tells Sally that no body was found. So Sally is, like, legit thinking that Peter is dead. She has a really funny line because it's just like, oh, great, what do I tell Liz? She looks awful in black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, but the thing, the, the thing that's funny, I guess, I guess I skimmed over the part where Captain Stacy telling Sally that no body was found is it's supposed to comfort her because that theoretically would mean that Peter wasn't killed. But like she cuts him off before he can say more. She's like, that means he was blown to bits, mm-hmm. uh, which is vaporized, funny. vaporized. <laughs> um, but then Peter returns, so it's fine. Uh, Sally hugs him, relieved, but then is like, oh god, I did that. But why are you alive? And Peter's like, oh, I had to use the bathroom, so, uh, you know, what I miss? And then Captain Stacy covers for him further by suggesting that he left his camera on auto shoot and describes Peter's absence as indisposed. And Peter's like, that's weird, but sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely that, Cap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I really do like, um, like Sally's sort of uh, the the – the further like humanization explanation for Sally where like, P- you know, Peter's surprised that she like is caring about him at all. And she's like, no, I don't care about you, but I don't want you blown to bits either. I'm not a monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like oh, that a lot. Sally. Oh, Sally. <laughs> yeah. So the next day, the principal is removing the football team state championship trophy from the trophy case and he explains that he was required to report the team for review when he learned about Harry's activities. Naturally, the team starts to blame Harry for this, being like, well, way to go, Osborne. But Flash actually steps in and is like, no, I'm the one who reported it. And he says he did this because he doesn't want a championship at all if it wasn't won fairly. And so then the team is sort of like grumbly towards Osborne and Flash, but flash's sort of like consolation is that shashan overhears this and ends up being like it's fine you did the right thing and someday they'll see that and ends up inviting flash to coffee so this is i guess sort of the the actual like depth she needed to to recognize that flash is maybe maybe more than just a a brickhead football player yeah it's nice yeah there's probably other stuff to dig into but i i'm 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 baffled by the principal's line when he's taking the trophy out because he just when he's explaining they had to report it to report the team for review or whatever. He says, like, uh, yeah, I had, to, I had to report it to the NYSHSFF. Yeah, the NISHIF. Is it that supposed to be a joke that it's a long acronym? Because the fact that he restates it, pronouncing the acronym in kind of a funny way. It's a weird because he didn't have to. He could have just said I had to submit the team to review or like had to submit the team to the board. The fact that it was all spelled out was such a weird addition and detail that it made me feel like it's supposed to be a joke. But I don't get the joke if it's a joke. Yeah, I I think that's the joke. I think you got it. But it's a weird joke to put in like a pretty. It's not like a dramatic scene or anything, but I think it's like an important scene. It's a weird. It's a weird like non joke to put in there. I guess I'll say it. I think it's a pretty bad joke <laughs> i don't think yeah, it's funny exactly. i don't i don't get it so it, it's just like it, it wasn't necessary like even if it was a like if there was a funny joke in its place there like i don't see why that was necessary because i think this is a pretty it's such an important like character moment like this is one of those scenes that i remembered from this season because yeah. it's so instrumental to like flash's character development that like 
it just seems so out of place to even it's felt so shoehorned in why would you think you needed a joke here i don't get it i don't know why they thought they needed a joke here but i definitely understand why they thought it was funny because i feel like it's the type of thing that somebody probably said and it was like it sort of like caught on and that is it, it can be a funny joke in the right context like that's a that's a huge running joke in the cloudy with a chance of meatballs movie this sort of mm. like unpronounceable initialism that ends up being ridiculous and said over and over again but the fact that they say it over and over again casually is what makes it funny the fact mm-hmm. that they do it just once here makes it not funny for the audience but i wouldn't be surprised if they said it over and over maybe in the studio or the writer's room and that's why they thought it was funny <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah, maybe like they looked up what the real committee or board would be and it's just like that's what it's called and then that became like an in joke and that was just sort of like so that was like an inside maybe. joke that was put in here maybe. That yeah. would explain it a little bit more and I I could get behind it a little more just because like it's not really supposed to be for us. It's just it's just weird. Yeah, it's it's misplaced. I I think yeah. pretty pretty Yeah, I I think it's misplaced. Yeah. Cuz I like the scene otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, for obvious reasons yeah. uh and anytime Flash gets some development and it's good. It's good. It all makes sense. And also it's obviously going to cause some tension with Harry, like which they clearly spell out in this scene and the next. So like, you know, it's, it's all good. Good, good stuff. I like that. It causes tension with Harry, but also causes tension with flash. Like the team walks away being frustrated with the both of them. And I, I dig that. Nobody is nice about this. Like, not even even Rand is like, what yeah. the fuck is happening right now? I, and I get it. I mean, both of those things were completely out of the control of the rest of the team. I get why Flash is pissed at Harry. I get why the team is pissed at both of them. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I get why they're pissed off. It's ultimately not Flash's fault. Like, that's, a, that's directing their anger in the wrong place. And... I think with empathy, they would recognize that it's not necessarily Harry's fault either. Like there's sort of bigger circumstances, but I get why they're all pissed off. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I think a lot of them would probably just be like, no, just don't tell anybody. Keep it a secret. No Mm -hmm. one has to know. And, you know, it wouldn't be the ethical thing to do, but I also wouldn't blame them for not wanting to like stir the pot unnecessarily, you know? So Well, that's Flash's um, initial reaction too. You know, he he mm -hmm. basically tells Harry like, no one can know about this. And that's what makes this moment such a big deal is the fact that you recognize like flash himself went back on that sentiment and recognized that's the wrong thing to do. And I'm going to do the right yeah. thing. Yeah. Without anybody like pushing him or anything mm-hmm. like that. Like he's the one who made that, made that turn all his own, which is, you know, that's like the perfect uh, example of, of having any kind of like insight in like critical thinking and self-actualization at all is like, being able to change your mind on your own and admit that you were wrong and do something that, you know, is kind of risky for yourself, but for the right reason. I think it's really specific to Flash, too, because this whole season we've seen Flash being sort of pulled away, like slowly like a piece of Velcro, like bit by bit away from what we saw him as in the first season. And at first we saw those little bits being like humiliated. Right. And then other bits or like being injured. And then part of it was being humiliated. And then part of it was being revealed to have been like Peter's best friend. And now part of it is him sort of like stepping into this place where, you know, what we've been pulling him away from is this 
sort of perfect trophy jock. And all those other things are meant to sort of like tear his ego down a little bit. But this is a thing where he's sort of intentionally on his own, taking away one of his own accomplishments, which separates him further from what has been his identity to this point. So it's like, it's really fascinating what they're doing with Flash this whole season by like piece by piece pulling him away from this like singularly jock character in a number of different ways culminating in this moment where he does it to himself yeah i really dig it i really dig it at this point in the show flash kind of has the best arc of the season like ultimately like in terms of like where it started and where where it's progressed and like how well integrated it's been throughout the season and how well paced out it's been like it's just so like superbly handled with a character that could have easily just fulfilled the bully role for like the whole show if they wanted to, you know? I think most of the characters that are, are getting really juicy arcs are characters I would not have expected. Cause I think flash is one of those. I think his is the one that's probably like the most in front because we've gotten a couple like teen soap opera E type episodes that sort of highlight that. But mm-hmm. then we also, I mean, we mentioned that hammerhead is getting an identifiable arc. It's not quite as, fleshed out or like in it's not as progressed as much so far as flashes has been but also there are some characters in the next episode that kind of continue arcs as well that i very much enjoy so yeah uh, i'm i'm pleasantly surprised by the characters that are getting these these growth moments because they wouldn't have been ones i would have expected definitely definitely (laughs) yeah yeah i'll be curious to hear like but after the end of the show, like who you felt like had some of the best arcs from the most unexpected characters, like in total. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, there's just, there's just one more, one more little button on this episode and that, you know, after Harry's been outed as, as being juiced and kind of probably being ostracized by his uh, football friends. Now it ends in Harry's room where he's holding his head in his hands, frustrated. He gets up, opens a panel in his floor underneath a rug which reveals a stash of the globulin green. They're doing it again to me. They're doing it again to me. I know. I know I know that the smart thing to do is to just be like, "All right, Harry has the globulin green. He's going to take it. We're going to get green goblin again." That's the obvious sort of like route to take. It's 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 what I should have thought the first time around. But I can't help it. <laughs> I can't help it with this show because they're so good at not like they they're so good at like not punctuating things, you know, like they just leave things sort of open and my mind doesn't stop. So I can't help it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's going to happen, even though yeah. I should just say it's going to happen. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, the show's going to drive me absolutely bonkers until it's over in the best way. Yeah, (laughs) there's not much of it left. Anyway, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So one face of the episode this time, I just it's just from the very beginning of the of the episode, like when Hammerhead's like kind of distressed about the big man, like kind of just like abandoning him a little bit. There's one point where he like kind of turns back and the way he's drawn is a little more exaggerated than normal. And it just really emphasizes his bone structure and his head and just how just utterly 
bizarre it it is <laughs> yeah when, when we talked about the first season i especially very early on when we were trying to describe the the sort of art style and character design i know i had made a comparison to jackie chan adventures yeah. because of some of the facial structures and the way that they draw heads and bodies and this right here this this particular angle that they're showing hammerhead in I feel like you could cut and paste directly into Jackie Chan adventures based on the way that they draw this face and how exaggerated and and sort of like cut into it is. Yeah. It's, it's literally like a, like a C shape, like Mm -hmm. a, like a a semi, semi moon shape. It's um, and like the way his head protrudes out and everything. It's just a lot. Massive cheekbone, no cheek. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. 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 Oddly pleasant. I feel like it's oddly pleasant to look at because it's sort of almost like abstract and cubist in a way. Like you're yeah, seeing like more not, of the face than you should see. It's not grotesque. It's just like, well, I mean, if you saw, yeah, it's just super stylized. And I don't think you would notice how weird his facial structure is most of the time. It's just certain angles, like this particular angle. And, and, and I guess like whatever artist was drawing it, I think his eyes are a little bigger than they normally are too. So it's just like, there's just a little more going on in this angle. And it's just high. And it's just really heavily highlights. Like this guy's looks weird. Like he looks really weird. I'm still not over the fact that he has pupils. That to me is still the yeah. most disturbing thing about Hammerhead. And still it's the only character up to this point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, aside from um, Vulture has pupils, but he doesn't have irises. So it's like, feels different. Yeah. In this case, like, it's it, it, his eyes are so dark that his pupils, like, just barely show. And so if you sort of, like, unfocus your eyes so that they blend together, his eyes look like everybody else's. Like, it's so close to being like everybody else's. And I feel like that's what makes it so unsettling. <laughs> like, yeah. It's so close. It's, like, almost its own miniature version of Uncanny Valley. Like, it's close to everything in its own universe, but it's just slightly off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a disturbing looking character, (laughs) but I actually like him. It's so funny. If you told me that like Hammerhead would have been a character I really enjoyed sort of like tracking, I would never have believed you. But he's actually really, I think, been a very fun, attractive in the character sense. Like I feel like the character they're building is one I'm attracted to watching as far as their story is going. I feel like that's kind of what he's getting this season and i am just like flabbergasted because it's not anything i would have predicted yeah like he's been used sparingly enough that like when he's highlighted it's always it's always because there's something kind of important happening to him um that's kind of giving him some kind of revelation or sparking some kind of thought and it's really nicely handled because yeah he's not like it's not like he's a character that would like hold his own show as a main character or anything. He only really works in this like supporting capacity, but like you always understand what he's thinking and like what he's going through. And like his issues, even though we're not like henchmen in a criminal underworld, like his issues are still relatable. And just in the sense of like not feeling seen and feeling undervalued and like not, and then losing respect for someone that you like looked up to, like all of that stuff checks out and is like really interesting it's just really interesting to watch and watch him kind of grow, which again, it's weird for him to stay for hammerhead. See, but that's the kind of stuff that makes me actually feel like had the show progressed. And I know that we still have a little bit of, of this season left, so I'm not necessarily going to write this off because this season does feature him in a particular way. But I feel like all that stuff 
especially with the fact that we got a little bit of background for him, which I think is significant for any character. Like if they're willing to give a character background, I feel like they're invested in them in some way. All of that makes me feel like Hammerhead actually could carry an arc with this trajectory. You know what I mean? Like maybe right now where he is, it would be sort of weird to do that. But I feel like the trajectory is on, and maybe this is a bit more of a conversation for next week. I feel like there could be a point where he could carry a villain arc, which is wild because it doesn't compute to me prior to seeing this particular version of Hammerhead. Um, But I, I really dig it. I really, really dig it. Yeah. Same here. Do you know what else I dig? What do you dig? I dig our Patreon. Well, me too. Yeah, I think great. You can find a lot of cool stuff there. Lots of cool bonus episodes and bonus content and everything. All you have to do is just go to patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers and you can join us there. Lots of fun. Just totally do that. Now, if you'd like to find some other stuff that we dig, we'll probably talk about it on social media and also on other platforms and on other shows that we're on. Doug, why don't you tell people where they can find you, where you talk about stuff that you dig. If you'd like to dig Doug further, <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at IckyBully, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. You can also listen to another podcast that I'm on called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it here on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. Also, if you are into books, gaming, and other pop culture, listen to me on Novel Gaming, a podcast where my friends Vicky, Katie, and I talk about everything we are reading, playing, watching, and thinking about. Derek, where can people find you and the stuff you're working on? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media, but from a positive lens. You can also check out both of us on our monthly podcast, Falling with Style, an ongoing Pixar movie marathon where we're watching every Pixar film chronologically, one per month. We have an episode, uh, most recently as of as of this episode, uh, Bugs Life is out right now, and you should check that out because that was a really fun one to do, and I did not remember anything about that movie, so it was <laughs> so fun watching it in 2020, especially given how relevant it is to many things happening oh, yeah. in our time right now so definitely check that out uh you can also find walloping web snappers on other places like our website wallopingwebsnappers.com you can also follow us on social media at walloping web pod or email us at walloping at gmail.com we'd also love it as usual if you just rate review and subscribe to us on apple podcasts um anywhere you can rate and subscribe to us on any platform is great but apple podcasts is just like the best one, unfortunately, they have the monopoly on like reviews for some reason. So easiest way for people to find podcasts is by rating us and reviewing us there. Next week, we are going to conclude this arc. So the gang war comes to a head as the criminology arc concludes in the episode Gangland. Sounds like a fun amusement park. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
some development and it's good. It's good. It all makes sense. And also obviously going to cause some henshin, henshin, yeah. 